You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Time once again for Southern Fried Sports on your home for University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, your trusty, if not talented, host of the program, fresh from BamaOnline.com, where I serve as a senior analyst for the website, which of course is a part of the 247sports.com network. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard, north in the Indian Hills section. Up Tuscaloosa, it is July, as you can tell by the outside temps here in the last few days. I think we can all tell that. Been a little hot, been a little steamy. Well, a great way to deal with that is with the great gelato from Peterbrook Chocolatier. And each and every Wednesday in the month of July, you are due a free cup of gelato. Any of those favorite flavors of yours. There at Peterbrook Chocolatier. They'll hook you up on Wednesdays in the month of July. Gelato July at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Joined on the program, as always, by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60 Minute Booth. Woo! A sports talk radio. I always love the live woo. Joe Gaither's got that thing down pretty good. Good job, Joe Gaither. How was your weekend, my man? It was good. I can always use it a little more work, a little more improvement, but it was good. Uh, we went out to the rodeo this Saturday, so that was a fun time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I heard about that. I didn't make it out. I didn't go to the rodeo, but I got into Yellow, uh, what is that? What's the show? Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. I got into yeah, that. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, the chocolate lady and I, well... What Yellowstone does for us, it's a great show. We uh we binge season one. So don't no spoilers, okay? No spoilers on Yellowstone. But enjoyed it so far. And um what we what it does for us, you know, with the oldest out there in Butte, Montana, it it, it gives us a sense of connection with him. Although I think a lot of the filming in the first three seasons of of Yellowstone were actually in Utah, not so much even Montana. Although I did do some research. I am so into Yellowstone that I did some research. And because of the coronavirus pandemic, they're going to film a lot of season four coming up actually in Montana because of, uh, you know, social distancing guidelines and things like that. So there you go. There's your little Yellowstone tidbit, a little scoop on Yellowstone because I know you were dying for that. But that's kind of what we did this week. Just kind of hung out, you know, kind of laid low. Uh, soaked in the lake yesterday a little bit, 
That's never a bad thing. Um, and just hung out, watched some sports on the cable. You know, it was good to see some Major League Baseball, even if it was exhibition style in front of no one. Boy, Wrigley Field was weird last night. If you caught that broadcast on ESPN. By the way, I thought Chipper Jones was really good uh, in the analyst role last night on the baseball on the ESPN. I enjoyed Chipper. Larry Wayne Jones, Chipper Jones Jr. Yeah, of the Bowl School in Jacksonville, Florida. I thought Larry was good. Um on that broadcast last night, the Wrigley field just kind of eerie, man, watching the baseball. It really took me back though. Here's what people don't get about the Cubs and Wrigley field these days, you know, before it became just a total museum and a must stop for tourists each and every year that make their way to Chicago. And when we first got the cable television, putting on my okay boomer hat for just a second here, when we first got the cable back in, Gosh, 80 or so, 1980. Guy, is that, that's 40 years ago? Yeah. Um, you know, we got WGN out of Chicago, and we got the, uh, the WTBS uh, out of uh, Atlanta. So we got the Braves and the Cubs is what we got each and every day. It was beautiful. You know, as I like, imagine being a 12-year-old sports NBC game of the week on Saturday, and then we'd get Monday night baseball. Monday night baseball back in the day was a big deal because it was, like I said, is one of two options you really had. If you live somewhere like at, uh, Jacksonville or Birmingham, you know, you weren't getting the Braves every night. You weren't getting the Cubs every afternoon before Wrigley Field added lights. That's how old I am. I remember Wrigley Field when it didn't have lights. Um, so when we got the cable, that was a huge deal to come home from middle school, you know, or seventh grade or whatever. It's 2.30 in the afternoon, and you're watching the Chicago Cubs take on the New York Mets or the Pittsburgh Pirates from Wrigley Field. It was beautiful. And that's kind of the feel it had last night because back then there weren't big crowds. They weren't exactly packing out Wrigley Field back in the early 80s. Now it's hard to imagine Wrigley Field not being that way because you try to get into Wrigley – say for a Saturday afternoon game in pre-pandemic times. And, uh, you know, you're looking at a hundred bucks a ticket from the ticket man just to get into the bleachers, at least a hundred bucks a ticket. I mean, you've got the seats, you got the seating on top of the buildings, the, the apartment buildings across the street from Wrigley field now that are premium. Yeah. A long time ago, two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us this morning, we would love to hear from you. We're going to check in with my colleague there at BamaOnline.com coming up in about ten minutes or so. Hank South, how about the recruiting weekend for the Alabama Crimson Tide? It was pretty much, I would say, Joe Gaither. Was it pretty much a good news weekend for Alabama fans? I thought it was. Yeah, it seemed like a great news, uh, about as good as you can ask for. I mean, we were sort of the tailgate show. That's kind of what we've become here on Southern Fried Sports, Joe. We're kind of the tailgate show that leads you up to commitments these days. That's what we did last Friday. We were the pre-commitment show here on the flagship home for University of Alabama Athletics that took you into that one-two punch of commitments from the Brockermeyer twins out in Texas. Uh, you had Tommy, 
the five-star offensive tackle, and then his twin brother, James, the four-star center, right around noontime on Friday, popping for the Crimson Tide. And then, as we told you, Terrence Ferguson, the four-star offensive lineman from Fort Valley, Georgia, dead A. He was set for yesterday at 2 in the afternoon, and Terrence Ferguson followed through with a commitment to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So you had three offensive line commitments, all very, very highly regarded prospects in a span of a little more than, what, 48 hours? That's a pretty good run for Kyle Flood, offensive line coach over at the University of Alabama, I'd say. Yeah, you feel good about that. You add those guys with J.C. Latham, the five-star offensive tackle from IMG, and there's talk, including at BamaOnline.com, that perhaps, at least on paper, this might be, or could should be, the best, the highest-rated offensive line class that Nick Saban has had. And I say highest-rated because... As I noted in a piece that Hank South dropped on the website this morning, it's the most developmental of positions, offensive line, because so little actually translates from high school competition to the Power Five level. Now, I understand. You can take guys like Latham from programs – like IMG that are basically playing the equivalent of almost junior varsity power five competition because IMG is a national program. They're playing the best of the best. You know, they're not playing Ocala Vanguard. All right. They're not playing Gainesville East side. They're not playing my alma mater, Edward H white senior high school. They're playing the Bishop Gormans. You know, they're open to playing the St. Louis's. Tua Tagovailoa's alma mater out in Honolulu. They're playing the national programs. They'll go down to South Florida and take on the St. Thomas Aquinas's that are very, very good. So it's easier, in my opinion, to look at a J.C. Latham and make that kind of evaluation for the big picture because he's already playing against some of those dudes. For example... I don't know if JC, I don't know if IMG has St. Thomas Aquinas on its schedule for the upcoming season. Uh, but if it does, then you're looking at a potential matchup, if that were to play out, of Latham going against a guy like Dallas Turner, the outside linebacker, weak side defensive end that committed to Alabama here in the last couple of weeks. So you can get some like for like comparisons. But again, such a developmental spot that you always sort of have to preface it with that. Because, and I noted this in the story on BamaOnline.com this morning, go back and look at Alabama's 2009 recruiting class and look at the offensive linemen in that group. D.J. Fluker was a slam dunk. D.J. Fluker was a national recruit. D.J. Fluker, I believe, was a 24-7 sports composite five-star in 2009. Your other offensive line signees in that class, James Carpenter from the junior college level. You had Chance Warmack, a three-star from the high school level over in the state of Georgia. And then Anthony Steen, a three-star who played small school Mississippi high school football. So it wasn't exactly five-star studded is my point here. And when you look at how it played out with those four guys, 
three first-round picks, Fluker, Carpenter, Warmack, and Anthony Steen was a multi-year starter who also made an NFL roster. So Alabama went four for four on NFL offensive linemen in that 2009 class. And yes, one of those was a five-star, DJ Fluker. James Carpenter was considered one of the very best at the junior college level. But Warmack and Steen, they were three stars. And so on paper, this looks to be as good as Alabama's done under Nick Saban. I would still say the class a couple of years ago, I'm I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out with that 2019 group. Uh, Because again, there's still some guys you're waiting on some opportunities to open up for some of those guys as much as anything else. Now, when you talk about Pierce quick, Darian Dahlcourt, some of those guys, Evan Neal for crying out loud. I think that 2019 group could end up proving to be very, very good. Um, but on paper, yeah, I mean, this is a hell of a group Alabama's putting together on the offensive line. So we'll talk with Hank about that. There's been some other developments on the recruiting front. You've got some other prospects of note starting to whittle down the list. And that's what makes this all the more sort of fascinating for Alabama. Because Alabama, a couple weeks ago, what was Alabama ranked? In the 40s, 50s, somewhere? A couple weeks ago now? Prior to the pandemic, I believe they were at 53. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, these rankings are based on, have a lot to do with the number of commitments you have. And Alabama was sitting there with a commitment or two. Had lost Drake May, the quarterback, who had flipped to North Carolina. So was sitting there with, like, a commitment, basically. And that was about it. Uh, but this stretch of 14 guys that have come on board since, man, and all of it's taken place in a virtual cycle as we referred to it here. When you say Alabama has zoomed to number two in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings following the three commitments from over the weekend, and we're talking literally because all of this has literally been done via Zoom. It's been virtual. And so, you know, Alabama has some luxuries that some other programs certainly don't. Alabama has had the luxury all along throughout this process of being able to stay patient. Even when fans were freaking out a couple months ago, you know, Nick Saban and his staff, they they stayed the course. And they have that, they they can. With 90 to 95% of these kids, Alabama doesn't have to push. Alabama has to kind of slow some of these kids down. And Alabama under Nick Saban is going to take every step it can to gather as much information as it can on pretty much every one of these guys. And so as you see segments of this cycle go away with the pandemic, with the continued extension of the dead period, Now you're seeing Alabama become more active in terms of pushing to go ahead and close out some of these guys. Now, some of these guys, don't get me wrong, Jaquincy McKinstry over at Pinson Valley, whenever he wants, he can go ahead and and make that announcement. Brocker Myers, I think, were the same type of kids. Um, there There are green light guys, for sure, even for Alabama. But as we get into these upper teens and the commitments and into the lower 20s, 
it's going to be very interesting to watch because I think what you're going to have is essentially two segments, two camps. You're going to have the elite guys that are still out there, and then you're going to have some guys, you're going to have some slots where Alabama as a staff is holding out hope that perhaps maybe there's still some evaluation that can be done. And a big part of that, in my opinion, will be the high school season and how that works out, if there's a high school football season. And so you're waiting to see if maybe there's the potential for a couple of guys that are sort of borderline on your board, if you can just get that little bit extra look at those guys before making that final push. I think that's how this is going to play out. But we'll talk with Hank about it in depth coming up in just a little bit. You all... summer afternoon. A few spots could see a passing thunderstorm through early tonight. The high today, 97. Tonight's low, 75. Tomorrow, mostly sunny during the morning. Then a chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms by afternoon. The high, 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. You know, we like to celebrate birthdays here on the program. That's essentially what our playlist consists of on a daily basis. And today we're going to celebrate three, well, actually four. That's Kim Carnes right there with a classic, Betty Davis eyes from many, many years ago. But our guest today, Hank South, recruiting analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com. Another year down for Big Hank. What about it, Hank? Happy birthday, my man. I know you celebrated one here in the last couple of days. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it was Saturday. Um, you know, spent the day with, with the family, went to the pool and cooked. So it was really nice. It was a nice it was a nice birthday. My last year, my twenties. So trying to live it up. Soak it up. Soak it up. And it was nice that, you know, the Alabama commitments could sort of stage themselves on Friday and Sunday to give you maybe a little bit of time off on your birthday there Saturday, right? Right. Yeah, no, earlier in the week, you know, when we got word that uh, that Tommy and James Brockermeyer were looking to, to make commitments over the weekend, originally it was James was going to announce on Friday and Tommy was going to announce on Saturday, um, but they obviously ended up doing it together. Uh, but, no, yeah, that was that was a nice little, a little extra birthday present right there, you know, not have to, not have to do any uh, – any commitment tracking on Saturday. The great thing about having those kids too, and Hank is now the proud father of a daughter and a son, a little Max here coming around in the last uh, 
six, five or six months, I guess now. Yeah, mm-hmm. been, been a yep. few months for Max. Yep. Uh, is that you know, as you have kids, Hank, nobody remembers your birthday really anymore. I like that. <laughs> I've always liked that about having kids. You know, they they just focus on the kids and they don't really talk about you getting older. You know, I think that's a that's a good thing. But speaking of kids, very interesting. The twins and Tommy and James Brockermeyer on Friday. I guess that had sort of been the trend for quite some time. Was it just a matter of when uh, at, at that point, Hank, with those two guys, or was there still maybe some intrigue there, especially given the ties uh, to the University of Texas that that family has? Yeah, you know, talking to them and, you know, talking to people close to the recruitment, I, I think at least in the last, you know, eight weeks, it was just kind of a matter of when. Um, even Tommy himself, you know, when we caught up with him about his decision, he was he was saying, you know, he's he's known for a month or two that it, it was probably going to be Alabama, and, and James kind of said similar things about that. And, and obviously, yeah, you know, like you said, the the, the ties to Texas were there. That um, they very seriously consider Texas. Obviously, that that program is 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 one near and dear to their to their hearts with with their dad and their parents going there. Their older brothers are currently there, so. That was, that was a program they're really considering. They, they really considered Auburn and, and LSU. Um, you know, they, they took visits all over the country, you know, um, earlier on in their high school career when they could. But, yeah, it, it kind of just came back to Alabama every time. You know, Bama had uh, the benefit of getting them on campus twice, uh, one time last summer and then again this past February before everything shut down. So they had that familiarity there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Carl Scott's done a great job recruiting them. Kyle Flood has done a terrific job recruiting them. And, and so, you know, they, they had that familiarity there and, and just, you know, talking to them, talking to their dad, it was just all about, you know, the prestige of the program, the development, their track record, putting linemen into the league, and, and that was what just really sold them on it. And then on Sunday, yesterday afternoon, Terrence Ferguson, a four-star offensive lineman from Fort Valley, Georgia, pledges to the Crimson Tide. I don't know if anybody had a better weekend than that Alabama offensive line coach, Kyle Flood. No, you're not kidding. Uh, no, and that, that was another one. You know, I, I think around, you know, last fall, it kind of seemed like Terrence Ferguson was leaning to Alabama. Uh, he, he took a visit for the Ole Miss game um, to Tuscaloosa. He was back on campus for junior day um, in February, so he got a visit in in 2020 early on, too. Uh, he's been to campus, I think, five times overall throughout his recruitment. So he's, he's really familiar with, with the school, with the town. Uh, but it was Georgia in the spring, you know, from you know March to, to June, um, that that was really, you know, most people thought that was where he was leaning. That was the crystal ball trend, 100% to Georgia. I think he he visited Georgia nearly, you know, upwards of, I mean, probably 20 times, if not more. So, you know, that that was the program wow. that, you know, most thought had had the edge for him. Um, but Bama, you know, continued to, to chug away at it. And, and, you know, I talked to, to Terrence yesterday um, before he committed, and he said, you know, it was just the fact that, you know, throughout this whole coronavirus situation, Alabama just continued to, to make him a priority. It was a priority to speak with him um, every week. You know, he was talking to he, he was talking to Saban every week um, throughout this whole situation. Obviously, you know, the, the development was a big thing, and the fact that you know Bama sees him as a guy that that can really play any of the positions on the offensive line. I think he you know could definitely see um, you know a future with that, and you know having an opportunity at, at multiple spots to come and make a name for himself. Yeah, Alabama loves versatility, regardless of position. I like to cross-train those linebackers if they can. like to cross-train guys between safety and corner and star in the secondary. 
offensive line. If you're a tackle, you're probably going to learn guard. If you're a guard, you're probably going to learn center. Um, a lot of that involved with, with this Alabama football program. Um, so with now J.C. Latham included in that mix, is there is there room for another big man or two in that offensive line wagon for this cycle, or do you think this will pretty much be it? No, you know, I, I think there's still room. You know, earlier on in the, in the cycle, I was talking to one person um, close to everything, and they were saying, you know, four was the number. That was kind of, you know, what they were aiming at. And, you know, if, if signing day was today, this is the best class in the country. There's no question. I know Charles Power um, with 24-7 just did a feature this morning about it being possibly the best signing class ever in college football. You know, it's certainly um, among, you know, Nick Saban era um, signing class was the highest rated ever. And so, therefore, you know, the best ever on paper for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think Bama's going to stop there. Obviously, there, there's a big name that would, you know, just the, the icing on top if, you know, Bama was somehow um, able to pull Amarius Mims out of Georgia, you know, to follow up with, with Terrence Ferguson on Sunday. He's the five-star tackle that, you know, I, I think, it, you know, everyone thought Terrence Ferguson was leaning to Georgia for a long time. You know, pe- I think people have considered Amarius Mims almost near lock status to Georgia. And, and obviously that, you know, there's no locks in recruiting, but, that's kind of been the vibe everyone feels. You know, he's showing interest to Alabama. He's actually named Alabama his leader before. Uh, he, he likes Auburn. He likes Tennessee. Uh, he likes some other schools. But it's always kind of come back to Georgia, the school he's been to the most. I think he was in Athens this past weekend hanging out with um, Georgia quarterback commit Brock Vandegrift. So um, he's announcing August 15th. Um, I don't think, you know, this is over by any means. I think he's still very seriously considering Bama, Auburn, LSU, and some others. Um, but, you know, he's a guy – Another really interesting name um, that, you know, we, we've written about on BOL several times is, is William Parker out of the Nashville area, who is uh, he's another one of these versatile linemen. I, I, you know, he's rated as a guard, but um, his film is a tackle. Um, and, and, you know, he can he can do a lot of different things. His film is actually really impressive for, for the, you know, the current rating he has. Um, but he's a guy I could see maybe, you know, hopping on board in the class. And he told Ryan Callahan of our, of our Tennessee side on 24-7 that, He's announcing a commitment on, on September 4th. So his commitment's coming up as soon as well. So he could be another guy. And then, uh, you know, there's other guys, but, you know, that would, that's probably for another episode. <laughs> yeah, and there was still some news even, I guess, Sunday evening with the uh, five-star corner out of Pinson Valley High School just up the road there. And Jaquincy McKinstry, I guess he's down to three schools at this point. Yeah, and it was, it was kind of the three schools we've, we've been expecting for a while. You know, it's kind of throughout, I, I would say at least since early May, that the feeling has been Alabama, Auburn, LSU are the, are the main schools in contention. And for a while, it was thought to be Alabama, Auburn, Clemson. That was kind of the uh, the late 2019, early 2020 feeling. But as time has gone on, it, it's kind of shifted to the to three SEC West schools. Um, and, and so, you know, this is, this is still one of those recruitments I think that you know, somewhat goes back and forth. You know, I don't think Quincy McKinstry has made up his mind. I've had a crystal ball pick on Alabama um, since May, I think. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think ultimately Alabama is going to win out for him. That's kind of, you know, how I think it's going to project. But, you know, if you follow him on social media and you talk to people close to him, and, you know, some days he's wearing LSU gloves, wearing a, uh, with an Alabama backpack or, or Auburn backpack with with uh, Alabama gloves, so he, he's having fun with the recruiting process. And you can't blame him. Obviously, he's got all these schools coming after him. Um, but yeah, he is down to three. I, I would imagine the next step is a is a commitment. He's kind of been hinting it. You know, he could make a decision at any point. Um, now that he's kind of narrowed things down, so we've been kind of keeping an eye on him. But um, for now, there's nothing set. Uh, but he is down to three. 
You know, there's talk that I guess three of the biggest football talent producing states are going to perhaps issue some sort of plan for football at the high school level for the upcoming fall. And when I talk about those states, I'm talking about Texas, California, and Florida. And you can make a very, very strong argument that those three make up the big three um, in, in high school football and, and producing uh, college talent. Uh, you talk to these young people all the time. Uh, are there contingency plans in place in case there's not a season in the fall? Um, is there any chance, maybe not even so much with Alabama, but uh, potentially uh, guys in the state of Texas enrolling early if, if their seasons are canceled or pushed back this far. You, how much are you hearing on that front, just from a general perspective, not even so much if it's connected to Alabama? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think generally the hope is obviously, you know, still having a season right before I came on um, the show. They just issued a – in California, I guess, they're moving the, the season to spring for high school yeah. um, football. So they've already kind of made a call on it. Um, but I think, you know, in, I think these next two weeks we're really going to kind of get a, a feel on, on what's going to happen. I think what we'll see most, it, it, you know, obviously with California now moved to the spring, um, I think Texas is, is meeting today. Their, their, uh, their UIL is checking or, you know, meeting today to what to do. And then I'm not sure on Florida yet, but I think the, the biggest thing we'll see is, you know, possibly kids from those states going to schools that obviously transferring to schools if they're able to, you know, we've seen, um, guys move to IMG Academy. I mean, obviously that, that depends on what, what's happening with Florida. Um, and, and so I, I could see, you know, senior season transfers to be able to play their, their final final year. We saw Tony Grimes, um, the, five, the number one cornerback in the country for 2021. He was committed to North Carolina. He reclassified, and he's going he's gonna to be there this fall. Um, he had all his credits. And you know, there's been talk about Terry and Arnold, who, who's another guy that, you know, has – has the opportunity if he wanted to, to, to reclassify and, and enroll this fall. I've heard that's not likely for him, but I think that either that or, you know, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, potentially transferring to another high school in a state that is, is playing. Um, other, other than that, you know, I can't imagine if, if kids are, if they're like California guys right now, or, you know, if their season to move to the spring and, and they have the opportunity to enroll early at their next school, I can't imagine they would, they would play their final season when, you know, they have the chance to be on campus at, at their new school and getting ready for their freshman season in college. Yeah, almost immediately on the heels of that breaking news out of California this morning that the state will push its football season, its high school football season, back to the spring. Victory Vaca, a commitment to Texas A&M out of uh, Westlake, out there in the L.A. area, just announced via Twitter that he's skipping his senior season of high school and he will be enrolling at Texas A&M, um, uh, I guess, in, in January. Just uh, He's not going to wait around. And this is kind of interesting because we connected this scenario with college football if it were to try to play in the spring, right? Yeah. If, if, yeah. if college football tried to play a spring league, how many of the true stars would hang around to play and not opt out? and I guess uh, this is this has been the potential for high school football too, and we're we're seeing it play out in real time this morning. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be kind of kind of wild, especially. I I keep thinking of a, a situation, you know, like if, if Texas does cancel their season or follows California and moves their season to the spring. You know, a guy like Kendrick Blackshire who plans to enroll early at Alabama. Yeah. Uh, you know he he won't have two years like 
junior season, senior seasons, he hasn't played. So he's, he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be fresh, um, you know, off of his knee injury. He's going to, uh, you know, not have as much wear and tear as maybe some other recruits have heading into the college level. Um, but yeah, you know, to, to think, I mean, just back to the college side, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, potentially we've seen the last of Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, it's kind of crazy to think about because, yeah, you know, you can't expect these guys that are projected first rounders in 2021 to really stick around and, and play a, a spring season um, when they have the chance to, to get ready for the draft and, and, you know, make a lot of money next spring. Talking with Hank South, recruiting analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com on a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports presented by Houston Hydrosteam, home of the Houston Rug Revival at 205-553-9460. They can handle that for you. Getting back to McKinstry real quick, Hank, before we let you go. Uh, the basketball thing with him's real, right? I mean, it's a, it's an absolute non-negotiable as he looks at his final three here. That's you know he that's what he's been you know maintaining for for this year. I mean, he got that he got the opportunity um, from Nate Oates and the staff to, to play basketball at Alabama back when he visited for Junior Day. Um, up to that point, you know, he hadn't um, really spoken with the staff yet. Really, you know, he hadn't really had the chance yet. But that that Junior Day visit he took. Um, in February, he, it was more about basketball than it was, you know, visiting the football program where, you know, he's been uh, almost a dozen times. So that, that is, it is something in his recruitment. He, he's, he's made it clear that, you know, he wants to be recognized and that, that, you know, the fact that he can play both sports and, and play both sports at a high level. I think when it comes down to it, um, you know, my feeling is he's going to go, you know, football is what he's most serious about. That's, where, you know, what his future is in. Um, obviously, you know, he has the, the skill set to play D1 basketball for sure. But, you know, moving on to the professional level, I think he, he's, I think that's going to drive his decision more so than basketball. But, you know, Bruce Pearl's pushing for him. Nate Oates and the, Bas- and the Bama staff have been after him, and, and as has LSU. So it's important to him, and it's something he's really looking into. Kool-Aid set to play, hopefully, his senior season under a pretty good former Alabama defensive back in his own right in Sam Shade from the early to mid-'90s. Really good safety for the Crimson Tide back in the day. All right, one more for you, Hank, as we get out of here with you on a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Is Damon Payne the big defensive lineman from Michigan, the five-star? Is he sort of where the focus is now in terms of commitment watch for the Crimson Tide? I think so, but you know, I, I think we talked last week, uh, and I was saying you know, Terrence Ferguson was the next scheduled announcement. <laughs> um, the Brockermeyers decided that, that last week was the week, so – uh, you know, it, it's one of those times. I think you know. I think Damon Payne is the one scheduled guy that, that's to watch. But you know, there's others out there. You know, Robbie Oost, the tight end target from South Carolina, he's now down to two. Um, Alabama and Virginia Tech with, with Bama trending, so he's a guy that I could see you know popping really at any time. But as far as scheduled announcements, uh, five-star defensive tackle Damon Payne is the guy to watch this week. As always, Hank, great stuff there at BamaOnline.com. We talked about it in the opening segment. Go check it out. Hank makes the case, puts it right there on paper for you, for this offensive line class in 2021, ranking as the best in the Nick Saban era. Charles Power, our national analyst, also chiming in on this offensive line class, potentially as one of the very best in college football recruiting history. On paper, we understand that, but interesting, good stuff nonetheless. Hey, Hank, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Travis. There he goes, Hank South, recruiting analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com. Yeah, we're just getting word now, as we talked about with Hank, 
California high school football looking at a winter to spring-like football season coming up. So no football in the fall in the state of California, and almost immediately on the heels of that, you're seeing at least one SEC commitment go on record as saying, well, I'm enrolling in Texas A&M in January. So his high school football career is essentially done. And you're going to see, I think, a lot more of that because so many of these guys now are, in fact, on tracks for early enrollment at their college destinations. Just look at Alabama's 2020 class. You had 13 of the, of the, of the signees that enrolled in January that were set to be on the field, uh, the practice field, in March and April. didn't happen, but you're going to see, I think, if that's the case for Texas coming up, and again, Texas, Florida, California today, we're expected to make at least some type of comments or uh, have discussions about plans for the football season. Uh, you're going to see a lot of high schools with a lot of kids, um, you know, star players anyway, that aren't going to be around. Thankfully, thankfully for the guys and gals in some instances that aren't exactly you know, five stars, four stars, even three stars are just recruitable football prospects in general. You know, they're still going to have a football season of some kind, it looks like, we hope anyway. And that's what matters at the high school level. Because as we've talked about, and as you know, and 90% of those kids, maybe more, they're not going to play college football. So you just want them to be able to maximize the high school experience. And if that's what it, if that's what it ensures, then uh, I guess that's what you got to do. We're going to take a break. We come back. More of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Remember this one from a couple of years ago at the Tuscaloosa Amp? How about Soundgarden? Right here in Tuscaloosa. Chris Cornell would have turned 56 years old today. Sadly, roughly a one week and a half after that Tuscaloosa show, uh, Chris Cornell left us in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, glad I made that one. Kind of had to drag the chocolate lady down to the amp for some Soundgarden. I get it, you know. But that one stirs the old nostalgia when you talk about uh, like 22, 20 to 22-year-old TR. Yeah, he was something else, boy. But uh, Chris Cornell, born on this day, 
would have turned 56 years old today, as a matter of fact. So anyway, we were going to talk about earlier the BYU situation, as it's become known. You know, it sounded like maybe we were going to get the Irish in Notre Dame and Alabama there for a minute, and then it quickly turned to BYU. We went from the Catholics to the Mormons. And when you really look at this situation, you know, I don't, I think it's, I think it's a great sign. I think it's as much as anything, a prudent sign that Greg Byrne and Alabama are taking the steps required to ensure that they have the allotted games that they're going to need for this upcoming season. I think it's also, if not more so about BYU. I mean, BYU from a standpoint of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 going conference only, BYU's 2020 schedule was hammered. BYU lost five games between the the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Lost Utah. That's a huge rivalry game, obviously, out there. Lost Stanford. Lost Arizona State. Lost Minnesota and Michigan State. So BYU very receptive right now. A very willing participant from a scheduling perspective, if in fact you see this conference only plus one format rolled out and it could work out very nicely for Alabama in relation to its SEC opener against the University of Georgia, because as it sits right now, Georgia uh, has apparently lost the game against Virginia in the uh in the season opener, has lost or will lose East Tennessee State in a conference-only plus one. And so if it's conference-only and plus one for Georgia, the the plus one is Georgia Tech. And that obviously is the regular season finale for those two teams. So if Georgia loses Virginia and ETSU to the conference-only and plus one, Right now, based on its schedule, its season opener would be against Alabama here in Tuscaloosa on September the 19th, whereas Alabama, if it can make things work with BYU, whether it's September the 5th or September the 12th, and BYU can't be picky right now. So I like to think, I got to think, if Alabama wants to play BYU in the parking lot at the Whataburger on McFarland this afternoon, I think BYU'd be open to that. BYU needs games. They need football games. And so, you know, if you're Alabama, you've lost USC, uh, real potential to lose Georgia State on September the 12th. Well, you can get BYU in there maybe on the 5th or the 12th. Not only fill that hole, but also give Nick Saban and his team a game before Georgia would come in here on September the 19th. So it could work out very, very nicely for the University of Alabama. Let's go to the phone lines at 205-342-9904. Check in with our good pal Johnny down in Florida. Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. I watched a lot of pro golf on the cable over the weekend, Johnny. I know. I watched that, too. It was a little, uh, well, with the big lead, I, I don't think it was that exciting, to be honest, uh, the memorial. Jack let that uh, course get bright and shiny you know, over the weekend up there at Muirfield Village. U.S. Open like speed on those fairways and greens. And Jack didn't look too enthused to shake hands or be part of... <laughs> no, no. 
Well, Jack informed us. I mean, Jack Nicholas informed us on the broadcast yesterday that he had actually, he and his wife Barbara, down there in your neck of the woods, had tested positive for COVID nineteen. So, uh, Jack apparently is continuously tested for antibodies, and in his last test, he said this past week he still shows antibodies post COVID nineteen. So. That was a bit of a bombshell on the broadcast yesterday, but yeah, he he had that thing souped up for the boys. You know, they weren't going to shoot twenty under on him. You know, over the weekend, they weren't going to do that to Jack. Well, that that's a, profess, a professional segue as to reason I'm calling. I wanted to talk <laughs> about that before I do. Before I do, I want to make an observation. I think if we compared CD collections, they would be pretty close. You think? I think so, and, and unfortunately, we're so old that they stick to the vinyl books, you know, when you get you get rid of the cases and you put them in those yeah. books and you pull it out and, like, the, the labeling is coming off on the plastic, yeah. Johnny, I was in a consi- think- consignment store a couple of weeks ago. I ended up buying six vinyl albums just because of the, the cover work. I, I mean, I love the music on the albums, but, man, I miss the cover art. I miss it, you know. Oh, oh yeah! When you open up and it's got the, the words on the it. inside and the yeah. drawings, and yeah, it's beautiful. But here's what I wanted to your professional segue. I wanted to add to your show testing. No one seems to be talking about testing. They say that well, we don't know if we're going to play, and you know, we're hoping we're going to play, and it's going to have to be based on testing. But what they're not asking and I have a little insight on this, is who's doing the testing? Because I can tell you, being in medicine, that we were given a bunch of antibody tests about three months ago to dispense out to physicians. And after three months of dispensing out those antibody tests, we found them to be completely inaccurate. Wow. So, what, what, and, and that, kind of with the Nicholases, you wonder, did they have it? Did they not have it? I got sick in December. I went up to Birmingham, came back down here, and was morbidly ill. And I, I could make an argument that I had COVID in December. Yeah. And yeah. and I don't test positive on the antibodies. Well, really? And so the thing about it is, if you think about this, you have to, one, hope that the testing is accurate, which as we all know, there's a lot of false numbers out there, whether it's for financial gain with billing for hospitals, you know, they get more money for COVID, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is if the sports are going to be predicated on that, that's very unstable as it is. It is. You know, it it, it goes back to kind of what I felt all along through this. The only thing I feel really certain about four or five months into what we know is taking place. And I, and look, I, I'm, I, 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 I totally understand the reality of the situation because as I said, Friday, I've got immediate family members who have been sick, not just positive tests of COVID-19. They've been sick. Okay. So it, it, it's very real to me. Um, but as far as testing and, you know, what we can do. I mean, yeah, I, I still in a lot of ways feel like I, I don't know much and I don't know how much anyone else really knows. I do know 
that the social media scientists are out there in mass. Uh, you know, I, I told someone yesterday, I wish I'd have known all these people I went to high school with were, were so damn adept at science because I would have sat next to them in 10th grade biology. And instead of struggling to make a D as a sophomore in biology, I would have aced it because I, I have all these people on social media that are scientists. I mean, they're, they know exactly what the heck they're talking about. Apparently I know I don't, that's all I know. What I know is what I don't know. If that makes any sense, and I and I still don't feel like I know much about this, other than to take the most fundamental steps in being safe that I can take on a day to day basis. That's all I really know to do, Johnny. You may know more, but I don't. Well, um, really, honestly, the way it's it's shaped out is from a medical standpoint, you almost have to break it down: is the person sick or not? Because the test. Yeah haven't proven to be accurate enough to be rely, you know, relied on for treatment. In other words, you could have a person come in and test positive, but they're not sick. And then you, you wonder, well, their husband or wife didn't get, didn't test positive. How did that happen? You know? Yeah. And then, and I've and then seen that. they I never got tested. I can attest to that. Absolutely. I yeah. also know there are folks with underlying conditions and in both the instances that I'm familiar with, one of the individuals is asthmatic. The other one has had uh, uh, bypass surgery, had health issues, underlying health issues. And those are the folks I know that have been sick. You know what I'm saying? Not just yeah. positive, but sick. I just wanted so, to add that to your show because no one's yeah. talking about it. And, and if we do get to play again, which is going to be great, I mean, it's based on testing and testing is a mess right now. Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, that, that would not surprise me in the least, um, because I've, I've referred to this situation as a spaghetti sandwich, trying to eat one, you know, and I still feel like yeah. in digesting it and having a good understanding of exactly what it is, other than it being actual, I, I, it, it, it seems to slip through our fingers at, at about every other turn, so... Hey, as always, we appreciate the insight, Johnny. Check in back with us again soon, okay? All right, buddy. See you later. There he goes, Johnny checking in from South Florida. Probably a little warm down there today, too. Going to be a warm one here in Tuscaloosa. Take care of yourself. Stay hydrated. Find some shade. Cool down when you need to. Thanks to Joe Gaither for producing the show, as always. Thanks to Hank Sal for joining us on the program as well. And the lunch whistle today, a Monday, Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Get by there and check them out today. Go get that Yardbird chicken sandwich. Trust me, it's out of this world. Until 11 a.m. on Tuesday. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports, Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The Dog Day 